This man had a firearm, shots were fired, and the man subsequently died. Tonight on Global News Hour, a teenager shot and killed by Vancouver police after responding to a 911 call. The IIO is now investigating. And then. We're just encouraging members of the public to remain vigilant this weekend. The latest on the wildfires in BC as the fire danger moves to extreme in some parts of the province. Plus. I think Vancouver has a really good opportunity here to make more street art. Embracing graffiti as an art form, how the city is raising the profile of local and international artists. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Members of the province's police watchdog agency were in an East Vancouver Park early this morning looking into the police-involved shooting death of a young man. As Kamal Karamali reports, the sudden death has left many in the neighborhood shaken. A discarded handgun, evidence markers strewn across a field, signs of a violent incident in the middle of a Vancouver park that has now left a teenager dead. Pretty scary, to be honest. It's a little bit too close to home. Vancouver police say officers were called to Clinton Park near Grant and Penticton Streets in East Van just after 2 a.m. to reports of the sound of gunshots. We had dozens of officers respond to this call from our, all parts of the, of the city. Uh, you can imagine uh, uh, what type of call this would be when shots fired come in. This is um, uh, one of the worst calls for a police officer to go to. Gunfire heard. He was pop, 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 pop. It is probably... A dozen, 20. Throughout the normally quiet neighborhood. Like fast, like a bunch of firecrackers going off. VPD says when officers arrived. There's probably 25, 30 cops who came to the area with a SWAT team. They saw a man with a firearm. The 18-year-old male shot by police, transported to hospital where he later died. Nathaniel Prodder said he was at the park just over an hour before the fatal shooting took place. There was a few groups of people who seemed like just like young people hanging out. BC's police watchdog, the Independent Investigations Office, now looking into this fatal shooting. VPD adding that no officers were injured in the incident. What exactly would spur a police uh, officer to feel that they had to shoot somebody? While kids play soccer only a few feet away from the deadly shooting, fear lingers throughout the community. I don't feel comfortable letting my kids come out and play in the park anymore. Police say the victim did not have a criminal history, and this doesn't appear to be gang-related, but can't add much more while the IIO continues its investigation. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Police in Coquitlam have launched an attempted murder investigation after an assault at a local park this morning. First responders were called to Brookmere Park just after 9 o'clock this morning. Police say at least two men had gotten into a fight, which ended with a man rushed to hospital with life-threatening injuries. Police want to speak with anyone who may have witnessed the violent altercation or has video of the incident. To breaking news now, a crash has closed a section of the Trans-Canada Highway between Revelstoke and Golden. The collision said to be near Loop Brook at Glacier National Park. Drive BC says there is no detour available and the next estimated time for reopening is 10 o'clock tonight. 
Now to the latest on BC's wildfire fight and more than 360 hectares, or sorry, 360 fires are burning across the province. 18 of them sparked in the last day and 186 are considered out of control. And last night an evacuation order was issued for a fire burning 15 kilometers northwest of Lytton. The Stein Mountain Fire is burning west of the Fraser River and has been mapped at around 330 hectares. The order covers two properties in the Thompson-Nicola Regional District. The Lytton First Nation has also ordered some of its residents out. To the East Kootenai now, and residents in Sparwood can't help but notice the efforts of firefighters who are battling the Ladnar Creek wildfire. was sparked by lightning back on July 21st and has grown closer to the community of Sparwood. It's currently more than 750 hectares. Crews spent Friday reinforcing fire guards and with increased humidity and light wind, they're preparing for possibly greater activity over the next 48 hours. Sparwood's mayor says the 125 fire personnel anticipate remaining in the area for several more weeks. We will probably see them here for the next three to four weeks. Uh, this is going to be a slow-moving fire, uh, but it's close enough to the town, as you can see behind me, uh, that, it, 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 that it can be problematic. Uh, do people get angst? Absolutely they do, and rightfully, and rightfully so. It, it gets very close sometimes, uh, but not close enough yet that we've had to do an evacuation order, and hopefully we don't have to. An evacuation alert was issued on Thursday for residents living in properties north of Sparwood Heights Drive. With persistent extreme conditions, especially in the interior right now, the BC Welfare Service is bracing for the possibility of new fires being sparked in the region. We are anticipating a risk of some potential lightning to hit a portion of the southern Okanagan as well as some areas west of the Fraser Canyon. Um, and so these areas are anticipated to have some dry lightning hit them, which creates an elevated level of concern. So are these conditions remaining in the southern interior throughout the long weekend? Well, here's meteorologist Yvonne Shell with the details. Yvonne? Yeah, and the dry lightning, a big concern, Julie, because we do have the fire danger rating sitting at high. Many spots now starting to move into extreme, and that's extending in towards the southeastern corners of the province. Lightning is in the forecast, and we are watching this blip in the forecast through the day for the afternoon and early evening hours. Late Sunday into Monday, however, we are going to see the potential for some showers and then the return for some wet weather along the south coast and I'll have that coming up very shortly but it's the southern half of the province I wanted to outline especially extending in towards the southeastern that's where we'll see the potential for lightning temperatures will be soaring through the day tomorrow will be into the low 30s a few spots getting into the mid 30s now there is some rain in the forecast along the south coast we'll be tracking that I'll have that coming up very shortly Julie all right thank you Yvonne Here's an update from the Kamloops Fire Center on some of the fires of note burning in the region. The Lower East Adams Lake fire is 21 kilometers north of Chase on the east side of Adams Lake. Increased fire behavior has been spotted, but it's mostly due to thicker fuels available in its path. Not so much considerable growth. It was last mapped at 4,800 hectares. The Bush Creek East Fire, about 23 kilometers northwest of Chase, has seen growth on the eastern flank, which has jumped the Adams Lake Forest Service Road in a couple of spots and made its way to Adams Lake. A Girl Guide camp on the lake has structural protection on it. 
Hotshot ground crews from the U.S. are working to contain those areas. That fire was last mapped at nearly 1,800 hectares yesterday, but smoke is making it hard to map it accurately. The Ross Moor Lake wildfire burning about 10 kilometers south of Kamloops is producing a lot of smoke. The BC Wildfire Service says it's not moving at a significant rate, but consuming more dense and available fuels. It was last mapped at more than 4,100 hectares. Nature parks in the Kamloops area have been closed to the public due to the heightened drought and fire risk. The city's fire chief closed access to the parks to bike, pedestrian and vehicle traffic out of an abundance of caution ahead of the B.C. day-long weekend. After the province raised the drought level in the region to five, the highest level, Chief Ken Uzaluk noted if a fire were to start in the city, his crews would be forced to fight it alone for quite some time. That's because the unusual support resources are already tasked with finding wildfires burning across the province right now. Residents were disappointed about the closure but understood why it's needed. I get it. I understand it. I mean, the place is tinder dry and it is what it is and we haven't had rain for, you know, how long and uh, it's a shame and there's always the noodle heads that'll smoke and uh, that's a that's a big risk. It's a huge risk, so I understand it um, uh, while I don't love it. I think the people that cause havoc in these city parks, they're not going to listen to it and they're the ones that are going to flick a cigarette or camp and start a fire. Um, the people that are more sensible are not, you know, not going to be causing problems in there. I'd rather be prudent given the situation in the province in our area right now and avoid having to deal with an interface fire at all. City crews will also monitor city parks to ensure residents and visitors are abiding by closures while community services officers may issue fines for any violations. Labour peace has been reached at B.C.'s ports. An agreement has been ratified, putting an end to weeks of disruption and uncertainty for the Canadian economy. In a statement, the president of the Union for B.C. Port Workers says members have voted nearly 75% in favour of accepting a negotiated deal. The International Longshore and Warehouse Union Canada, representing 7,400 workers, spent Thursday and Friday voting on the deal. More than 30 port terminals and other sites were shut down for 13 days in July. Then just a week ago, the union had voted down a previous agreement. After the results were announced, Federal Labor Minister Seamus O'Regan issued a statement saying in part, we do not want to be back here again and has directed federal officials to review how a disruption on this scale unfolded so that in the future we can provide greater stability for the workers and businesses across Canada that depend on B.C. ports. Everybody's happy that it's finally over. But there's been so many industries that are saying that they've had to actually curtail or shut down production. So they've actually had to, to lay off workers or have workers work less hours in a week because they knew that their product wasn't going to go anywhere. And we've heard businesses say that they're actually going to feel the economic pinch of not being able to get inputs or supplies in on time. Devin Dreeshen says the Alberta government will be making a submission to O'Regan's office calling for him to be given binding arbitration powers to prevent a disruption like this from happening again. He added the federal government should have had the same level of urgency in helping to resolve the labor dispute as it did with the Montreal port strike two years ago. 
A long weekend outing in Penticton turned into a tragedy yesterday when an Alberta teen was killed in a jet ski crash on Skaha Lake. RCMP say it happened around 8 o'clock last night when two jet skis collided in the middle of the lake. Four young people were involved. They were all taken by boat by family members to the Skaha Marina where two off-duty doctors and paramedics attended to them. They were rushed to hospital by EHS. A 14-year-old girl from Alberta did not survive. The three others were treated and released. No criminality is suspected and alcohol is not believed to be a factor in the crash. Abbotsford police are investigating an early morning shooting near Abbotsford Exhibition Park. Police received calls of shots fired before 3 this morning in the 3700 block of Nicholas Street. Officers found an unoccupied vehicle apparently shot up with shell casings on the ground nearby. There is no evidence to suggest anyone was hit. The owner of the vehicle is cooperating with police. The Forensic Identification and Major Crime Unit has taken over the investigation. No arrests have been made. Police believe the incident is isolated. If you are a witness or have dash cam footage, you are asked to contact police. A section of Glover, Glover Road in Langley was closed for hours this morning following a serious crash investigation. Police and the integrated collision analysis and reconstruction team were on scene at Glover Road between the Langley Bypass and Mufford Crescent investigating the crash involving a motorcycle. So far, no details on what led to the collision. BC Ferries promise smooth sailing for what is typically the busiest weekend of the year, and so far the company is keeping its word. Officials say car traffic was down 8% on Friday compared to the same day last year on the three major routes between Metro Vancouver and Vancouver Island. The number of passengers was up nearly 3%, though, which could be attributed to more people ditching their cars and walking on the vessel. Parking lots remain quite full at the major terminals. Still to come, normally no one wants to see graffiti, but we'll show you a first by the city of Vancouver to actually celebrate this art form on the downtown east side. And what was that atop of Mount Baker? Was there volcanic activity? Stay with us. Graffiti has gotten a bad rap, sometimes mistakenly tagged as a sign of vandalism. But when it's done as art, it has the potential to elevate a community, as is the goal of the inaugural Graffiti Jam in Vancouver. Krista Dow reports. In this downtown east side alleyway, a first of its kind festival is bringing street art out of the shadows. The two-day Clean Lines Graffiti Jam is a celebration of urban expression with more than a dozen street artists showcasing their talent on a legal graffiti wall in the alley of 133 West Pender. There isn't really a graffiti festival in Vancouver. There, there's Mural Fest, but that's more geared towards muralists. And uh, this is more accessible. It's more for the... Uh, the graffiti writer who may not have a chance to express himself at those festivals. The city of Vancouver sanctioned event, a safe space for street artists with no repercussions. Each can of spray paint representing a step towards changing perceptions, with advocates saying the benefits of street art go beyond the surface. Graffiti gets a bad rap, but the reality of it is like it's like you talk to any graffiti artist, it's kept them out of more serious trouble. <laughs> Events. It's kept them out of more serious troubles. Helton says aside from the artful display, it's also a way to communicate 
on the streets. Street art and messaging on walls is, is a way to pass information and share information about um, missing people, violence that's happening in the streets, uh, drug toxicity warnings. So it's not just like an alleyway thing anymore, it's not like a gang thing or anything like that anymore. It's a thing for like, everybody, right? James Hardy, or better known as Smokey D, has been instrumental in combating vandalism in Chinatown and says street art can curb bad behavior. And Chinatown's cleaned up a fair bit too, right? It's all, like, it's all like normal now, it's not all over the place, right? We've heard from the businesses that they love it, that it's a, it's a big deterrent for them. Judges will select a winner for Best Peace Sunday. A difficult decision, no doubt, with each artist adding beauty and value. Krista Dow, Global News. The Dyke March took over East Vancouver today. <laughs> Hundreds marched down Commercial Drive in the name of queer acceptance and love. A Vancouver Pride weekend staple for nearly two decades. The Dyke March still has no corporate involvement and the event is considered a political movement. We are really inclusive space, so you might think, oh, the Dyke March, that's just going to be for lesbians. But we're not. We're really for so many different people. Our events for people whose uh, gender identity and sexuality intersect to further marginalize them within the larger Pride movement. Following the parade, a festival was held in Grandview Park where food trucks, performances and an open art gallery took place. Vancouver Coastal Health is offering free MPOX vaccination clinics at this weekend's Pride events to help protect people against the disease. Second doses are now recommended for anyone who received a first dose at least 28 days ago. The health authority says two doses offer stronger, longer-lasting protection against the illness, formerly known as monkeypox. Police sorry, people rather, could receive shots this afternoon outside the Little Sisters Book and Art Emporium and during the parade Pride Parade on Sunday at the Concord Community Park. Another clinic will also take place at the Jim Diva Plaza on the evening of August 18th. Still to come on Global News Hour, a potential milestone. The FDA approves the first postpartum depression drug that this could mean for young parents. Plus, the heat wave hitting South Korea just as a scout jamboree scrambles to properly play host to its guests when we come back. A chaotic scene last night at a house fire in Courtney as police needed to be called. The blaze happened in the 1400 block of 15th Street. RCMP say the property's owner had left the burning house and was combative with a firefighter. He was subdued until others arrived. Now the owner was arrested for assaulting a firefighter and sent to hospital for smoke inhalation. Alcohol or drugs may have been a factor. The fire is under investigation. It appears tensions overseas hit home between two communities in Toronto today as violence erupted at a community celebration this morning, sending nine people to hospital. A large contingent of officers deployed to a park on Toronto's west side where the local Erythian community was hosting a festival. Organizers say a group of as many as 200 people showed up and started disrupting the event. Tents were smashed and set on fire. Police say one person was stabbed. One witness believes the others to be from Ethiopia's Tigray region. They think they say like political issue or whatever, but they are not from Eritrea. They are not. We are Eritrea. They are not from Ethiopia. 
Medics also treated patients at the scene. Eritrea and Ethiopia waged a two-year war against the region's ruling party in the Tigray region. More than two million people were forced to flee their homes. To South Korea now, where thousands of teenagers from more than 170 countries, including Canada, have gathered for the 25th World Scout Jamboree. The 10-day education event was supposed to be the trip of a lifetime, but for many, extreme summer heat has ruined their adventure. And while they've been, there have been calls for the event to be canceled, as Jamie Marocker explains, officials plan to push on. This flat, treeless landscape, more than 250 kilometers outside of South Korea, is supposed to be a temporary home for more than 40,000 participants at the World Scout Jamboree. Most are teens, 14 to 17, but with little access to shade or cooling during one of the hottest summers the country has seen in years, the 35-degree weather is taking a toll. Oh, that's bad. Woke up absolutely dripping in sweat. The UK, the largest contingent of more than 4,000 scouts, moved its delegates to a hotel after more than 100 participants were hospitalized with heat-related illnesses during the opening ceremony. Each scouting movement is an independent organization and they have duty of care for their children, so they will decide what is best for their children. Since there have been more than 400 reports of people falling sick, including nine Canadians. A statement from Scouts Canada says the 235 youth expressed a desire to remain at the Jamboree. Given infrastructure improvements and participant feedback, the contingent will remain on site. But delegates from the U.S. are opting to walk away. Kristen Sayers says her 17-year-old son spent more than $6,000 American to attend the Jamboree. She is now calling a nightmare. But it sounds like the problems with this go way beyond the heat. There's not enough food, there's not enough water. The South Korean government is promising more water trucks, air-conditioned spaces and medics. Officials also rolled out tour programs, shuttling scouts into Seoul and other cities and have cancelled the more physically intensive events. Still, they have no plans of shutting down. Regarding the operation plan of the Jamboree, the representatives of each country held a meeting today and decided to continue the event. But with a week left and more rain and 35-degree heat in the forecast, Scout's motto, be prepared, may mean for further disappointment. Jamie Marocker, Global News. In health matters, U.S. health officials have approved a new pill that is designed to treat parents dealing with postpartum depression. The FDA approved the drug for adults experiencing severe mental health symptoms related to pregnancy. This is the first time a pill that can be taken at home has been available for parents dealing with depression. Early studies of the medicine show that it can improve symptoms in as little as three days. Health Canada tells Global News that there is no word yet if this drug will be coming to Canada. And some concerning findings about the potential impacts of drinking alcohol on heart health. A new study warns that having as little as one drink a day may increase systolic blood pressure. That's the top number in the blood pressure reading. That's even in those without existing hypertension. The study published in the journal Hypertension looked at 19,000 people. It finds the negative impacts continue to rise with every additional drink. 
Still to come on Global News Hour, a Polynesian canoe makes a stop here in BC teaching people about caring for the earth. Plus, more on that record-breaking jackpot down in the U.S. when we come back. You may have seen photos online of some smoke coming from Mount Baker in Washington. These images began circulating on social media Friday. Plumes of smoke that looked eerily similar to a volcanic eruption coming from Mount Baker. It led to many online speculating that the old volcano may have erupted. Well, it turns out it was just wildfire smoke bellowing from the sourdough fire near Smoky Point. Japanese food, music and community is on full display at the Powell Street Festival this weekend. The event happens in Vancouver's Oppenheimer Park, where nearly 10,000 Japanese immigrants settled in Vancouver before the Second World War. Decades later, many Japanese Canadians say the festival feels like returning home with arts and dance demonstrations, a variety of dishes and a craft market. The crowds are here. This is the place to be for the weekend. I think everyone has been craving this sense of community, of coming together, so it is nice that we can create this festival in the park where people can just share food, speak together, reunite and come together. The festival continues tomorrow with dance performances, martial arts and a calligraphy showcase. The event runs from 11 to 7. A traditional Polynesian canoe has arrived here on the West Coast as part of a four-year voyage around the Pacific Ocean. It's about spreading Indigenous knowledge through port engagements and to better care for the Earth and our oceans. The vessel and crew will cover an estimated 43,000 nautical miles across the Pacific, visiting 36 countries and nearly 100 Indigenous territories. It's been making its way south after stopping in southeast Alaska. The crew follows Hawaii protocol by seeking permission from local First Nations to make each stop. It's docked to the Vancouver Maritime Museum until Monday and will move to the Granville Public Marina where it will dock rather until next Saturday. Well, Yvonne is here and I don't know, four years in a canoe sounds like an <laughs> awfully long time, but very important to do. Yeah, very important to do. Yeah, I just feel like you know, finding things to do, right? Yes. <laughs> finding things to do. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Julie. And good evening, everyone. Uh, we are seeing a bit more cloud cover out there than sun through the day today, but it has been a dry and warm start to our long weekend, and it is still going to be another hot one as we get in towards tomorrow. We're currently sitting at 23 degrees. We've got a southeasterly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. A few other spots across the province with highs today into the interior. Quinell getting up to 32 degrees and much of the southern interior into the low 30s and another hot one as we look ahead towards tomorrow. Now, the northeastern corners of the province at this hour, we're seeing some lightning strikes. It's similar across the southeastern corners. We've got a system just to the south of us that is going to bring in that instability for tomorrow and the southern interior. We'll see that potential for some lightning once again. Fraser Canyon and the southeastern corners, all areas across the Okanagan Valley, smoky skies bulletin. So the areas that are in grey over the next 24 and 48 hours will be impacted by the wildfire smoke. So those with respiratory issues will want to try and limit the amount of time 
time spent outdoors. Now here's what we are looking at though. Late day tomorrow as we get in towards our Monday, we are going to see the potential for some showers in towards the interior. And then this next weather maker that is on deck is going to bring a swath of moisture right along the south coast. We'll be tracking the return for some rainfall. Periods of rain on Tuesday and then easing off to a chance for some showers on our Wednesday. It'll be much needed right across the board. Now the northern half of the province inland with the risk of thunderstorms similar for the piece. Much of the central interior will see the sunshine up to 28 degrees. Southern half of the province unsettled risk of thunderstorms lightening the concern and the heat continues across the region. Whistler will be included within that as well. It's warming up inland across the island. Port Alberni getting up to 28 degrees. Areas near Tofino could see some drizzle, lighter precipitation in areas near Victoria getting up to 23. Away from the water into the Fraser Valley, we're up to 28 degrees. With the humid exit, it'll feel closer to 32 for tomorrow. Rounding off the long weekend on Monday, we've got a mix of sun and cloud. 24 will be the high. That rainfall moving in on Tuesday will be heaviest and then easing off to some showers as we get in towards our Wednesday. Julie? All right. Thank you, Yvonne. Well, if you somehow got your hands on a Mega Millions ticket, spoiler alert, you did not win. There was no winner for the top prize in the massive U.S. jackpot on last night. That means the next Mega Millions draw is set to be the largest in U.S. history with an estimated jackpot of $1.55 billion, beating the previous record of $1.53 billion in 2018. After taxes, the new total cash prize for a potential winner sits at an estimated $752 million. Friday's draw marked the 31st in a row without a winning ticket, with the next draw taking place on Tuesday. So Barry is here now. Did you get your ticket yet? I didn't. It's hard to win lotteries. Yeah. Barry, what would you do? <laughs> Barry, what would you what do? What would you do? What would you do if you won the lottery? I, Very curious, Barry. Yeah, well, I mean, what would you do? I've thought about it, but, uh, you know, it's just a pipe dream. No use. Uh, yeah. Why dream something never happened? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So you know, what you got in sports? Well, uh, kind of good news, bad news for the Whitecaps. Bad news, they're out of the League's Cup competition. They really played great against probably the best uh, pro team in Mexico, Tigres, but lost in a shootout. But the good news is they get a couple weeks off kind of rest up all those uh, tired bodies during a long season for the MLS season. We'll hear from Vanny, which is always fun. And uh, what else we got coming up? Oh, Blue Jays played a great game today. And Adam Svensson of Surrey in the running at uh, PGA Tournament at the Wyndham Championship. So highlights of him, too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Well, still to come on Global News Hour, ditching the alcohol. We'll tell you about the trend among young people to choose to stay sober when we return. A new trend suggests more Canadians are choosing to take a break from drinking alcohol, switching out their spirits for zero-proof beverages. In a story originally featured this season on the new reality, Sophie Louis looks at the growing sober curiosity movement and the younger generation that's driving it. At a glance, this looks like any other night out. People are mingling. The DJ is bumping. The bartender is mixing. But there's one key thing missing. Alcohol. There's not a drop of it here. We like to create an atmosphere where everybody is sober. Elizabeth Gascoigne is the host of this booze-free bar night. She came up with the idea a year ago after deciding to go sober. Like many people, she found herself drinking too much during the pandemic, 
leaving her with something she calls anxiety. Anxiety, in my experience, is the feeling that you get the next day after drinking, even if you're only drinking a glass or two of wine, just this residual anxiety of, what did I say the night before? What did I do? Did I embarrass myself? It's a question her generation is posing. A recent study found they drink 20% less than millennials, who in turn are drinking less than Gen Xers and baby boomers. And it's not necessarily because they have addiction issues. They're just curious, sober curious. Gen Z, I think they're realizing that like, maybe the consequences of alcohol are not actually worth the mental health effects. Here in Canada, the sober curiosity movement is definitely brewing. Beer and wine sales are at an all-time low, except when it comes to non-alcoholic products. And at the Drive Canteen in Vancouver, they can attest to that. This pale ale, like, you could pour it blind and people wouldn't know that it's a dealkalized product. It's so good. Owner Doug Steven has carefully curated his convenience store with a focus on fun. Candy and snacks, jerseys and sneakers, and their top seller, beer, wine, and spirits without the booze. As long as it's delicious, that's the biggest thing for us. We just keep seeing more and more people coming through who um, want to kind of shift how they view alcohol. It's clear there is a thirst for something different. And Fiona Hefer wants to quench that thirst. This should be more on the dry of the spectrum. She's the CEO of Sensorium a BC-based online marketplace for alcohol-free beverages. Tonight, she's giving people a taste of what's out there. The big takeaway I hope people get from tonight is really an expanded definition about sobriety. You could have a mindful relationship to alcohol that lets you have a drink once in a while, or you realize that you don't like it at all and you decide to leave it without having this rock-bottom story. And the sober curious are eager to sample. I think there's something about getting something that tastes like an adult beverage. That's what I loved about it. <laughs> Sophie Louie, yes. Global News. Coming up in sports, not good news for Vanny Sartini. A shootout loss sets back the Vancouver Whitecaps. The coach's reaction post-game when we come back. August 16th is Pirate Pack Day at White Spot. Kids and adults alike can enjoy their very own Pirate Pack. For everyone sold, White Spot will donate $2 to Zajac Ranch, a camp for children with life-threatening illnesses and chronic disabilities. Don't miss the Ambleside Music Festival. This year features headliners Weezer and Third Eye Blind with Bahamas, St. Motel, and more. Plus, the Okanagan Wine Festivals will be bringing the taste of the Okanagan to Ambleside Park. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. Global BC Community Hub. Promote your event, build your community. Global BC Community Hub, bringing your worlds together. Barry is back. Can you want to start with the Caps? Mm -hmm. Yeah, really good game last night. Uh, White Caps have played great against the two Mexican teams they've played. They've lost both in a shootout, but uh, I think kind of shown everyone that they're a pretty good squad. All right, thanks, Julie. The uh, White Caps felt they deserved better in last night's penalty shootout loss versus top Mexican side Tigris. White Caps got the early jump, had some chances to stretch the lead, but ended up 
conceding in the second half, and then they lost 5-3 on penalty kicks. So they bow out of the League's Cup, and now they don't play again until August 20th when their MLS season resumes versus San Jose. Let's take a look back. Plenty of support, of course, for the Mexican side Tigris, and uh, hey, also for the Southsiders. So great job uh, there, a good atmosphere, 14,000 fans. The Whitecaps uh, supporters got loud early, Ryan Gauld's Cross is knocked down, but look at the play by Pedro Vite. Chests it down and then volleys it to the corner. He's got five goals this year, uh, which is third most on the team. 1-0 Vancouver. Couldn't have asked for a better start, but Tigris look like they're going to get it back. They must have thought this was going in. Ryan Raposa, though, has other ideas. Dramatic clearance off the goal line to keep the Caps in the lead. Huge defensive play, and Vancouver led 1-0 at the half. But uh, Tigris are dangerous, and they showed in the 53rd. Andre-Pierre Gignac with the masterful scissor kick. The Frenchman is 37 years old, but he can still finish with the best of them. It's one all. It goes to penalties. A bit of a uh, bizarre mime routine here by the Tigris goalkeeper, uh, Guzman. Check him out. Trying to throw off Sergio Cordoba. It didn't work, but it was uh, kind of a Marcel Marceau impression there. Now, 4-3 Tigris, all goals so far until Ranko Vizalinovic stopped by Guzman. Maybe a little too cute there from Ranko. And then Fernando Goriarin makes no mistake for the win. Tigris win 5-3. They advance to the final 16. Whitecaps are knocked out, but they played very well against a quality opponent. And Vanny felt the best team did not win last night. I think we were much better than them. I think we played uh, very well. I think that, uh, unfortunately, we didn't have the enough quality in the final third in a lot of potential chances to score the second goal. But we, we showed that uh, we are a very good team. If uh, uh, we played much better than them, we deserve to win. It's a steal, unfortunately. They, we need to head on on uh, Gignac uh, for the goal. Parenthesis, and it's the only thing that I say against uh, about the referee. I don't understand why it doesn't go to video review. If one of our players push, for sure it's at least a foul and they go to video review. Review, it, Because it's Pierre-André Gignac and Tigres, they have more fans than us, and everyone is happy if they win. Maybe the league is... All right, gold medal game at the gretzky Holinka Cup. That's an under-18 tournament. Canada facing the co-host Czechia. First period... It's uh, Adam Tittlebach who scores. Now, he will suit up for the Vancouver Giants this coming season, his fifth of the tournament. So, Giant fans will have a chance to watch him. But Canada does tie it in the second. Great goal here by uh, Caden Lindstrom as he shows some great hands to roof it. It's 1-1 still in the second. Berkeley Catton fires into a crowd. No one can find it except Catton gets his own rebound. Canada led 2-1 after two but the Czechs tied it late sending this to OT and this one almost went the entire 20 minutes of overtime until Malcolm Spence strips the puck races in and how about that move it's the game winner Canada scoring with just seven seconds left in overtime and they win it in dramatic fashion to capture gold 3-2 is the final in overtime and the U.S. beat Finland to win the bronze Third round of the Wyndham Championship from North Carolina. Final regular season tournament on the PGA Tour. All the players trying to get into the top 70 in the standings to make the playoffs. Surrey's Adam Svensson ranked 37th, so just tuning up for the playoffs. And he was in fine form early. Made that birdie there at the second to get to 11-under. Bogeyed his third, but bounces back at the fourth. His approach 
gives him another birdie look, and it sets up this tricky downhiller, but perfect speed just drips it over the edge. Another birdie. Spenson got to 12 under at one point, but made some bogeys on the back half. Did birdie 16, and then again here at 17. But on a day when the leaders were shooting six or seven under, Spenson was even par. So he's 10 under, still pretty good, tied seventh. But his playing partner, Lucas Glover, had the low round of the day in 8-under 62. He has really reinvented himself the past couple of years. He was a major winner way back in 09 at the U.S. Open. Knocked his approach close on 18 and then made the birdie putt. So he is the co-leader along with Billy Horschel at 18-under. Final round tomorrow. Only the top 70 in the FedEx Cup standings move on to the first playoff tournament next week. Baseball today. Victoria's uh, Nick Pavetta and the Red Sox taking on the Blue Jays at Fenway Park. Pavetta's had a pretty strong season, but in the third, Brandon Belt takes him the other way. Parks went over the Green Monster for a solo home run. Tenth of the year for Belt. one nothing Jays. Later in the inning, Alejandro Kirk will place one into the gap in left center, and that will get to the wall. George Springer scores easily. Kirk has a double, and the Jays put up three in the third off Pavetta. Toronto starter Jose Barrio sailing along until the fourth when Red Sox slugger Rafael Devers goes down and golfs one to deep right. That is a way out of here. A three-run shot for Devers. Boston ties it at three. But in the top of the sixth, it's Belt again facing a lefty two-strike pitch. That's a professional hitting job right there. Gets it through the left side, scores the go-ahead run. 4-3 Toronto. Now, remember last night, Jays rookie and former Vancouver Canadian Davis Schneider homered in his first big league at bat. It was such a great moment for him. Well, all he did today was go 3-for-3 three three with a walk. He's 5-for-8 as a major leaguer. Not so tough. Batting 625 in his short major league career. Bottom of the ninth, 5-4 Jays. Two on for the Sox. Connor Wong. Looking to end it off the wall, but Kevin Kiermaier makes the catch and then throws to second to double off Reese McGuire, who for some reason didn't tag up. That is a major league bonehead play. He thought it was off the wall, but you stay at second and still score easily. But the Jays will take that mistake. They win 5-4 and now lead Boston by four games in the wild card race. CFL tonight, East Division matchup between the Alouettes and Ticats from Hamilton. That's the former Lion, James Butler, and he opens up the scoring for the Ticats right up the gut. And he'll... Uh, celebrate the touchdowns known for his celebrations what do you do after you score a td how about play duck duck goose in the end zone your turn seven nothing tie cat speaking of former line sean lemon who was cut in training camp by bc this year after they signed him as a marquee free agent to flex the pass then picks it off for the alouettes and montreal's got a big lead now 27 14 in the fourth round of 16 at the women's world cup norway facing japan 1-0 Japan until the 20th minute when Guro Riten rises up and heads home the equalizer. It's a great goal for the Norwegians, and it ties at 1-1. But in the second half, Japan will take advantage of the Norwegian mistake. Risa Shimzu with the shot past the keeper, and Japan considered one of those to get to the middle uh, section of the tournament, win at 3-1, they're off to the quarterfinals. And earlier, heavily favored Spain taking on Switzerland. Spain got an early goal but gave it back, and they literally gave it back. Check this out, Lea Codina playing it back to her goalkeeper. One problem, the goalkeeper wasn't there. That is an own goal with the bonus point, 1-1, but that did not affect Spain one bit. Maybe it motivated them because 
Alba Redondo with the header to the far post. 2-1 Spain back in front. And then later in the half, this is one of the nicer goals of the tournament. Beautiful footwork from Etana Bonmati. And look at that little step there and then finishes off. And Spain win it by the final of 5-1. And they also advance on to the quarterfinals. And we're keeping up with the Canadian Little League Baseball Championships in uh, Regina. Vancouver's Little Mountain, another blowout win. They beat Quebec 15 to nothing. They're 4-0. They've outscored their opponents 50-1 to wow. in their four games. So I think they're the favorites. They won it all in Canada last year, so they, they're probably winning again. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. Straight ahead on the news hour, sushi, anyone? The interesting way you can buy the Japanese cuisine when we come back. Dinner time. Hungry. Sushi on the SkyTrain is now an option with the addition of vending machines to some stations. TransLink has partnered with local restaurants to bring more filling fare than just chips and pop. Aside from sushi, some machines will offer Italian subs and Filipino frozen desserts. Machines will be in stations along the Expo and Evergreen lines and C-Bus terminal during a 12-month pilot project. Riders we spoke with said they'd consider vending machine sushi. I would try it. We're from Edmonton, so I would eat it. It's still BC sushi, right? It's got to be fresher than 7-Eleven in Alberta. I don't know. I would. I, I'm, I'm a bit picky about sushi, so yeah. <laughs> I would maybe a reference from like where it's from, and yeah. maybe yeah. Um, the restaurant would be helpful. So far, machines have popped up at Lonsdale Key, Seabus Terminal, Coquitlam Central Station, and Lafarge Lake Douglas Station. I, I have a theory. This is uh, when you're coming home late on SkyTrain, responsibly, and maybe you've had a couple. You'll, you'll, <laughs> eat, any, you'll eat anything. 7-Eleven's proven that for years. So I yeah. think yeah. sushi out of the vending machine hits the spot perfectly. Yeah, yeah maybe. Sushi. I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm a little suspicious. I mean, it looks like it's cooled in the machine. <laughs> like, it's a, I don't know. If you're hungry, you're hungry. Right. Yeah. Right? Sometimes. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, up to you. Thanks so much for being with us. Have a good night. Good night.